Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covegraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps. Ephesians 5, verses 25 to 32. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning as your children, desiring to hear from you, and you have such a wonderful word for us this morning about your love for us, and uh, Lord, I just want to pray the same thing that Paul prayed for the Ephesians when he prayed that we may be so rooted and grounded in love that we may be strengthened to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Father, that's what we want, Lord, that's what we need. If we're going to live for you, if we're going to somehow be freed from the sins and temptations that bind us, the thing that we need to see is your love. As we see your love for us in Jesus Christ, it causes us to just open our hands and and repent of whatever we've been holding on to, and with that same hand of faith, grab hold of you. And Lord, that is a miracle that only you do. And so we pray that you do it. We pray that we would be so filled with the knowledge of your love in Christ that we'd be transformed. And we pray for those who are here who don't yet have that relationship with you. We pray for them, whether they know it or not, that they don't have that relationship with you. We pray that you would... um, Show them that and show them the love that you have for them that surpasses any loves that they have in the world, whether it's a relationship that they really shouldn't be a part of, whether it's some sin that's their, their love, their affection. And we pray, Lord, that they would just be ready and willing to turn from any sin to have you, the best of loves, best of relationships. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as Gabe was talking about, for the next four weeks, we're going to be in a series called Why We Love the Church. And the the we and why we love the church is not Josh and Gabe and I, or even just the leadership of this church. When I think of we, I think of all you guys. One of the things I've been impressed by over the years, and especially really lately, is how much you guys love one another. Like, the love of the people in this room of this church is amazing. And we see it over and over and over again. And it's so sustaining and so helpful and just reminds me of the reality of God himself. So when I say why we love the church, it's a reminder, it's all of us remembering together why we love the church. And sometimes we need to be reminded. A goal in this series would be that we would be stirred up in love for one another, that we love each other even more. Jesus said that that's how the world will know that we're his disciples, is our love for one another. And it'll equip you guys too, I think, to speak about the church to those who don't share your enthusiasm. 
Have you noticed that maybe there's some people in our culture that don't share your enthusiasm for the church? Have you met any? It's a really common thing, even among Christians, to tear down the church, to bag on the church, to, you know, just talk down about the church. And it's not that there hasn't been problems, okay? There have been problems. There have been problems for centuries. But I don't think that Christ is pleased with that kind of attitude, especially from Christians, of tearing down his bride, right? And so if we could speak more enthusiastically, it would help. This will give you texts you can go to and things you can share with those who, who don't have your same enthusiasm. Well, we're going to be looking at a few different metaphors for how the Bible speaks about the church. The Bible uses a lot of metaphors. Metaphors like it calls the, the church a flock, uh, branches on a vine, a family, a pillar, an olive tree, uh, a temple, a body. This Sunday we're going to look at Ephesians 5 and see that God calls his people his bride. And so why do we love the church? Most fundamentally this morning, we love the church because God does. He loves her. He loves her as his bride. And as you were seeing in the call to worship, he's called his people his bride even in the Old Testament. Isaiah 54, 5 says this, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieving in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. And then in Isaiah 62, it says, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. And so God has always had his people, and he's always called his people his bride. And this morning, we're going to look at Ephesians 5 and see three ways that God loves his church as his bride. Now, this passage is normally used to talk about husbands and wives and marriage, and of course, that's what it's for. But as you can see in verse 32, it's also for talking about the church. It's also talking about God's love for the church. So I preached it the other way last time. This time we're going to focus specifically on what God's saying about his church. How does he love his church as his bride? First, Christ loves the church by giving himself for her. Look at verse 25. This is Ephesians 5.25. And by the way, it'd be great to open it up. You're going to want to look at it. It's a lot more fun if you have to watch what I'm doing. Because I'm saying, hey, look at this, look at that, and you're not looking at it. You know, it's like I'm like a sunset, and I'm like, hey, did you notice this, this, and you're just looking down at your phone? And it's like, look at it, okay? Look at it, if it's on your phone even. Look at it. Okay, how does Christ love the church? Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ gave himself up. I think this is really important when we think about the death of Christ because you can look at the cross and have real misconceptions about it. You could think, if you, especially if you don't have much of a background with the Bible, you could think that Jesus dying on the cross, that he was some kind of victim, the victim of a, of a brutal state and all that. And those kind of things are true, but that's not fundamentally what the cross was about. He wanted to make it really clear in John when Jesus said this, no one takes my life from me. Isn't that great? Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord, and I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus wants you to know this morning that when he died on that cross, he did not die as a victim, but as a volunteer. And who was he volunteering for? Look at verse 25. Jesus gave himself up for her. For her. Jesus did not die for a faceless mass of humanity as some sort of general good deed to the human race, right? He, he, he didn't die on the cross with the thought of like, man, I hope this helps somebody somewhere someday, okay? He wasn't like, oh, this must be, this is probably going to help somebody. I don't know who. No, 
Jesus gave himself up for her, verse 25 says, for the church, for you who have received him by faith. Christ gave himself up as a personal act of love to you. He was thinking very specifically of you. He was paying, Colossians 2 says, very specifically for your actual sins, the sins of your entire life. He was paying for those for you. He had you in mind at the cross. He gave himself up for you. He gave up his own body for you. He gave up his back to the whip for you. He gave up his head to the thorns for you. He gave up his wrists and his ankles to the nails for you. He gave his side to the spear for you. And he gave his very last breath up to God for you. He did it for you. Paul says very personally, um, I think in Galatians he says, Christ died for me. And I just love the fact that he doesn't just say that Christ died for the church. He just doesn't just say Christ died for sinners. Christ died for me. Can you say that this morning? Christ died for me. Now let's actually do it. Christ died for me. It's super important that you've personally internalized this, that he didn't just die as some general option for people to take if they wanted it, right? For some general plan that's out there, and if you want to take it, you can. He thought of you specifically. Guys, we love the church because God loves her, and he loves her sacrificially. And, and so we also love the church sacrificially. Take a look at Ephesians 5.1. It's just right over from where you're at. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, in what way? As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We imitate God by loving each other and loving each other sacrificially, actually giving ourselves up for one another. And that kind of love, guys, as should be obvious, has to be lived out in a local church. Love is lived out locally, right? So there's, there's the church universal, the Holy Catholic Church, as he was talking about in the creed there. There's the universal church, the church that has been from all time and all across the world. It's every saved person, even ones that come way after us, ones that came way before us all over the world. That's the universal church. But that universal church is made up of what we have, which is a local church, little bodies of believers. And it's in the local church that sacrificial love actually happens. It's the people in this room. It's the people right around you, right? A lot of professing Christians no longer do what you're doing this morning. They don't gather weekly with a particular local band of believers that they have committed their lives to. They don't do that. It's a really common thing. What you're doing is actually quite rare. And that's why when I started off this series, I don't want to make it sound like, man, you guys need to start loving the church because you're not loving the church. Like, you guys are the rare exceptions, actually. What you're doing is, like, you guys are the unicorns, right? In a world of horses, you are the unicorns. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> but what you guys do is extremely rare, and it's extremely beautiful, and it's extremely right. Because, guys, it's really easy to love Christ's bride in the abstract. Oh, I love the church, you know? I love the universal church. Or people will say, oh, I'm a member of church. I'm a member of the universal body of Christ. And it's like, okay. I mean, it's kind of like saying, you know, I just love everyone. <laughs> you ever meet people like that? They're just, I just love everybody. And I'm like, bro, I know you, and you don't. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> it's like the people that say, I just don't want any drama, and they're like the most dramatic person you've ever met. <laughs> but just saying, I love everyone, without sacrificially loving anyone in particular, the way we show the love for Christ's bride is by loving particular 
Christians, right? Living that out together. Love is lived locally. It's the people right in front of you. It's the people right in front of you that are hard to love, right? They're the challenge. Amen. Yeah, I mean, not you guys most of the time, but uh, it's, that's a challenge. And to kind of help us in loving one another better, we're starting something. Where we want to we want to make the membership of the church clearer. We want to have like an actual like buy-in to the to church membership because we've started. Not that you have to buy anything, <laughs> but um, we started with just a couple dozen people. And it was really clear to know who the members were because they were right there. They were in Josh's house. You know, it was like a crammed little room. But as we've grown, it's become harder to know who the members are. And some of you guys have experienced this. I mean, you guys who have been with us for years, like after the pandemic, you kind of come back to meeting in person and you're like, wait, who are all these people? <laughs> you know, you guys may have noticed that, right? And so what we'd like to do is make a lot clearer list of members so that it makes it a lot easier to know you know, who's with us, who's made a long-term commitment to be with us. And if you guys have been with us a long time, don't worry, there's not a bunch of hoops for you guys to jump through to do this. You guys have actually already jumped through a bunch of hoops. As you've been with us a long time, you jumped through the church planting hoop, which we're still jumping through apparently, the mobile church hoop, which is still with us, uh, the pandemic hoop, the worshiping in masks hoop, the parking lot church hoop. You guys have been in all the hoops, okay? So there aren't a bunch of big hoops for you to join. If you've been with us a long time, all we want you to do is look at the member agreement that we have, which is actually a list of things you're already doing, and just sign that. It's that simple. We're going to send it out for you guys to do. So that's kind of grandfathered in. How many of you guys are grandfathered people in the church? How many of you guys are the grandfathers of Covenant Grace? Some of you guys aren't admitting it. Okay, let's do this. <laughs> if you've been here since the pandemic started, are you like the grandfathers? Okay. Some people are like, I don't like that term. Like, embrace it. Okay? And if you're newer, the way you would join would be the same thing. Just look over the member agreement. Then we want to meet with you, get to know you, hear your testimony, that kind of stuff. We're not grilling you that you have to like subscribe to very arcane specific things. The church is open to membership from anybody that's a Christian. Okay? So we could have a, and you know how Covenant Grace is. We have a diversity of beliefs on lots of things. But we'd love for you to, to join like that. And then moving forward, what we'd like to do, it'd be really helpful for new people. So when you have new people, it'd be great to have a really clear process to say, like, you've joined. Because some of you guys are new. How many of you guys have just come, like, in the last six months? So, so it's awkward to come and join us when we don't have a process. It's like you come the first week, and we're like, oh, the new person. And then you come the third week, and we're like, hmm, something might be happening here. <laughs> and then you come the sixth week, and we're like, this is getting serious. But there's no point where we say, like, they say, hey, we're in, and we say, oh, good, you know? And there should be. Because the way it is right now, it's like, after it's been about a year, we're like, I think they're staying. <laughs> we're like common law married or something like that, you know? That's not the way it should be. So what we want to do with new people is we want them to, to have a moment when they can say, hey, we're in, and we can say, that's great. And then what we'd like to do in the future is, when we have new members, is announce them on Sunday morning, you know? So they say, hey, we're going to join. We just say, hey, the Smiths are joining us, like get to know them, you know, maybe give a little bit of information about them so we can say, that's great, we can clap and be excited about them. I think people are going to appreciate that because, I don't know, how many of you guys have felt awkward in that way where it's like, you know, it's week four, it's week five, and people say things like, so you know we're with you, right? And we're like, yes, what do you mean, you know? So it's like a defining the relationship. It's a DTR moment. So for those of you who are a little bit freaked out about membership, and I probably shouldn't say that because you're probably going to go like, oh, should I be freaked out about membership? 
and you don't want to sign a car, you don't want to become a member right now, that's totally fine, okay? Take your time. There's not going to be any hard sell. There's not going to be hard sell about this because we don't have a Bible verse that says you need to sign a card, okay? We don't have a Bible verse about that. We'll be hard sell about anything with a Bible verse, but we would love you to do it. It would help us. Hebrews 13 says that the elders will give an account to God for the people in their church, and that's terrifying. It's slightly less terrifying when you know exactly who they are. You know, you're like, oh, you know. So anyway, I'll share more about it through the week. Feel free to ask questions. But why do we love the church? Because God does. He loves her sacrificially. When we love his bride, Jesus himself feels it is love. And I think this is really important. You remember when Paul was persecuting the church, and God said to Paul, why are you persecuting me? Something similar happens when you love God's people. When you love God's people in this room, Jesus feels it as love to him, right? The way a husband appreciates when you care for his bride. We had a military family in our church years ago, and he went out on active duty. And it was really cool because the church took care of the family, you know, mowed their lawn, entertained their kids, took the family out on Mother's Day and stuff like that. And then when he came back, he was really just saying, man, I am so thankful for you guys loving my family. And, you know, loving his bride was loving him. And Jesus feels the same way. When you go out of your way sacrificially to love one another in this room, Jesus feels that. And I think it's so important to consider that because when you have a hard time loving other people in the church, um, remember that Jesus, he feels that as love to him. That should motivate you, right? So God loves his church as his bride sacrificially. Secondly, God loves his church by sanctifying her. Look at verse 26. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her, by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Christ loves his bride, the church, by sanctifying her. What does it mean to sanctify? Sanctify means to set apart, to make holy. A little bit later, he talks about washing her in the word. So that's what it means to sanctify. What does that imply about the bride that, that God has chosen? That she needs to be sanctified and made holy and washed? Yeah. She's got issues. You know? The church, yeah, she has issues. <laughs> she has issues, right? The church have issues? You have issues? We have issues, right? <laughs> That's what that implies. We've got issues. Before Christ, we were a part of the world. We lived as the world lived. And it takes some time to stop doing that, Right? It is something that God has to do in our lives to sanctify us, to set us apart, to make us more and more like Christ. Because the gospel is a really unique story, unique in all religions, in that it's about a hero who rescues and marries a bride, but not like an innocent damsel in distress. She's in a tower. She did nothing wrong. She's like, oh, help me. That's not us, right? He rescued a bride who was a woman of ill repute. That's what the Old Testament book of Hosea talks about. I wanted to do it in the Old Testament series, so I'm bringing it in now. But the book of Hosea, especially in the ESV, is, is uh, the scripture readings would be incredible because it's like over and over again, it says whore, whoredom, and whoring, over and over again. I'll read some of it to you. Hosea 1 verse 2 says this, when the Lord spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, this is his prophet, and this is his instructions to his holy prophet, go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, and she conceived and bore a son. He gets this assignment as the prophet. He's an unmarried guy. He gets this assignment to go and find 
a woman who's like a prostitute or something and uh, named Gomer, which is a great name, and um, seeks her out and marries her. And what was it supposed to be? It's a picture of God. It's a picture of God seeking out his bride who would be unfaithful to him. Hosea 3.1 says, Go, love a woman who is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. In the Old Testament, you have this picture of sin as if it's spiritual adultery. And so God took Hosea and told him to marry a woman who was chronically unfaithful to him so that God would show that his people have been chronically unfaithful to him. Right? It's a rough job being a Hebrew prophet, right? In a lot of ways. It's amazing though, right? It's an amazing picture of the gospel. Have you guys ever met a couple that you thought, you looked at them, you just met them, and you're like, what is she doing with him? Or what is he doing with her? I'm being careful not to look at anyone specifically. <laughs> but have you ever met a couple like that where you're like, what in the world is he doing with her? Or the opposite, right? When I was in vet school, I had this new friend who's a vet student like me, and we went to go pick up his girlfriend and drive her across campus. We dropped her off, and as soon as she got out of the car, he goes, Eric, I know what you're wondering. <laughs> he goes, what is a woman like that doing with a guy like me? And I just started busting up, and I'm like, Sean, that was exactly what I thought. <laughs> and I still wonder to this day. Sean had this, like, wide-eyed wonder, and he looked back at me, and he goes, I have no idea. <laughs> it was like he had, like, won the lottery or something like that, and he had. And that's what it looks like right now with Christ in the church, right? You're like, what is he doing with her? What is he doing with us? And in wide-eyed wonder, we look back to the world, and we say, I have no idea, right? He just told us it's called grace. We're having a really hard time figuring it out. It's amazing, right? We are Gomer, right? But he's promised not to leave us that way. Like Hosea's love was intended to make Gomer faithful, Jesus is making us more and more faithful with his love. So Christ laid down his life that he might sanctify us so that one day when he returns, the world will be able to say, oh, that makes sense. They're going to see the church. They're going to see God's people. They're going to see us. They're going to see Jesus. And they're going to be like, oh, that makes total sense. They're a perfect match. Don't you look forward to that? Don't you look forward to that? I mean, you wrestle and I wrestle. We all wrestle with sinful desires and temptations. We wrestle with things like anger and greed and jealousy and pride and resentment and superiority and lustful thoughts and judging others and misuse of food and drink and substances. All those things, right? And more. And then you hear this. Look at verse 27. So that he might present the church, that's you, to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You know, a day is coming when our lives will so reflect the holiness and goodness of Jesus that it'll be like, oh, they're a perfect match. It makes total sense. That word splendor there is, in Greek, is endoxa. Endoxa means the glory of God. We will be in his glory. We will be glorious just like him. And even this morning, guys, God is doing that work. He's actually working on that process right now. Look at verse 26 how he does it, that he might sanctify her, how? Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. He washes us. He's making us more and more faithful to him through his word. And the amazing thing about this whole washing us in the word and making us more like Christ is he's doing it like right now. Like right now, as we're looking at the word together, as I'm speaking the gospel to you, he is washing you. 
and he's washing me. I come away feeling a lot better for after this, you know? It, don't you? That you're, He's washing you at the level of your heart. That's what happens whenever we gather and we receive God's word like this, is he's washing us. And what's cool is this is a process that all of us take part in. Flip over to Ephesians 4.15, just one chapter over. He says this about how you wash one another with the word. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, and that's all of us, right? All the parts of, of, of the body of Christ, joined and held together by every joint in which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, that's when each one of us is activated in our gifts, right? When each one of us is on and really caring for the church. When each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Isn't that amazing? It's not a picture of like, you know, a, a system where there's a pastor or a priest or somebody like that that does all of the ministry, right? It's the body ministering to each other. And, and for those of you guys who haven't been here as long, that's what happens here. People just decide like, hey, I want to start a, a small group. I'm going to do this other thing. Or I'm going you know, to meet up with so-and-so and counsel them and stuff like that. It's a very grassroots kind of thing, right? Ephesians talks about equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And that's what you're seeing in that text is all of us washing one another in the word. It happens every Sunday. It happens even in service as we um, speak the word, as we read it out together, out loud. As we sing the word to each other, we're washing each other in the word. As you guys pass the communion tray and you look at that other person in the eye and you say, this is the body of Christ broken for you, and you're speaking Jesus' very words to that person, or as you say, this is his blood spilled for you, you're speaking the word of Jesus to him, you're washing that person in the word. Isn't that amazing? He's doing it like right now. It's amazing. And he does it when you guys speak to each other, you know, before and after services you're doing it, as you're meeting throughout the week, he's washing one another. You're a part of Jesus washing his bride with the word. Or at least that's available to you. Some people, it takes them a long time to kind of grow into that place where they feel like they're a part of doing that. But if you're a Christian, you're already deputized to do that. That's your role. And, and we have this passion, don't we? I mean, we have this passion for Jesus' bride to be radiant for him. Like, we're just as discontent about our own state as the world is, right? We're just as discontent with our flaws. And, and we have this passion to see Jesus' body, his local church bodies, radiant for him. Listen to how Paul talks about it. 2 Corinthians 11.2, Paul says this. He says this to the Corinthian church. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Isn't that cool? That's his heart as a pastor, as an apostle. Is he's like, you are betrothed to Christ, and I want you to be pure. I want you to have that, that radiant purity that, for Christ. And we all share that desire, don't we? If you remember this church, like you share that desire. You want to see all of us living lives that are radiant for God. It's good. We want to be instruments, right? We want to be instruments of God to help one another live more and more faithfully to Christ, which, by the way, helps if you have a clear membership. <laughs> if you have a clear membership list, it really helps because it, it helps you to know, like, who am I supposed to wash with the word, right? And we're, we're certainly not called to wash every person with the word. We are responsible to give the gospel to anyone we can, but, but we're not responsible on that deep level of having somebody grow in Christ and knowing how they're growing. We're not responsible to the whole world. We're not even responsible to every Christian, but we're certainly responsible to the members of our own church, those who have actually signed up for it, 
You know, they're like, yes, I want that. Have you guys tried to wash people with the word when they didn't want it? Right? It's trying, like trying to wash a, you know, wash a crazy dog or something like that. You know, you're like, hey, I'm trying to, you know, and they don't want it. You know, they never asked for it. And one of the benefits of having clear membership is like, they asked for it. They wanted it. So God loves his people as his bride. He loves them sacrificially. He sanctifies them. And then lastly, he loves his bride as his own body. Take a look at verse 28. This is amazing. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ says the church, because we're members of his body. Now, this is a much deeper way in which he loves us. He loves us as his own body. Because he loves us as his own body, he nourishes and cherishes us. We could have a sense if we don't really feel connected to each other and we don't really feel responsible for each other. We could see somebody's life just kind of going off the rails and we could be like, well, you know, that's dumb. I hope they turn around because that's going to be a fiery wreck. I see where that's going. And you just like, nothing. It's a different response if, like, say, your arm's slowly turning like a black-green color. Okay? You're like, hmm. And then you're Googling, right? Gangrene. And you're like looking up leprosy, and you're like, you care about that arm, right? Christ thinks of us as his arm, <laughs> you know? And we're to think of each other that way, that, that we're united to one another. And, and this is called union with Christ, and it happens to be one of my obsessions, and if you're tired of it, I don't know what to say, because it's like basically the foundation of the gospel. But um, when you first came to trust in Christ, it wasn't like you were just like put in some list or got a member card or something like that. When you first came to Christ, the Holy Spirit united you to Christ, engrafted you to Christ, connected you to Christ, put you in Christ in an inseparable way. Isn't that amazing? Because you just thought like, well, I just identified as a Christian. No, he identified with you and he engrafted you into himself. In fact, when you look through Ephesians, you'll see as you read it, and it would be, this would be a great exercise to read through Ephesians, and look for all the places it says in Christ. Every time it says in Christ, he's talking about union with Christ. In union with Christ is that we become one flesh with Jesus. I know this sounds kind of weird. Take a look at verse 31. <clears throat> Paul says, Paul says, you know Ephesians 2? You know that part where it says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh? He goes, you know that passage? And you're like, yeah. And then he says in verse 32, this mystery is profound. And you're like, that is a profound mystery. And then look what he says. But I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. He's saying that that passage in Genesis about the one flesh union between husbands and wives is true of them, but more fundamentally about Christ and the church. So that when you came to Christ by the Spirit, you became one flesh with Jesus. And this isn't just a metaphor. This isn't just like symbolic language. This isn't just like something that's not fundamentally like solid and real. Because look at Ephesians 2. He says, so real is your union with Christ. Look at Ephesians 2.6. You got to see the tense in here. In Ephesians 2.6, it says that God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What's the tense there? Yeah, it's, it's past tense even, right? Seated us, right? We're already seated in the heavenly places. Is that weird to you? It was weird to me the first time I read it, I was like, and really noticed it, I thought, well, that's got to be wrong, because I'm here. You know, like, I'm not seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
But what he's talking about is because of your union with Christ through the Holy Spirit, he's in you and he's with Christ, you are also with Christ where his physical body is in heaven. Like you're there. You're there because you're united with Christ in such a way that wherever he is, you are. This mystery is profound, right? It's amazing, right? And that helps with the question of like, I wonder if I'll make it. You already did. In some really fundamental sense, you're already with Christ if you're in him. Isn't that amazing? So Jesus cares for you the way he cares for his own body because we are his body. And now that you're in Christ, every bit of Christ's holiness is yours. You know, because you're in him. If you're in Christ, all of his holiness is yours. It's like you're coded in his holiness because you're coded in him. You're in him. And to be a Christian, guys, it doesn't just mean that you've identified with Christ, but that Christ is identified with you as his own body. When he sees you, when he thinks of you, he thinks of you as united to him permanently. Isn't that amazing? It's just amazing. It rips apart all the works righteousness. It rips apart all the idea that somehow you've got to keep your salvation yourself. It rips all that apart, and it shows you that it's all Christ, right? And we love the church, guys, because these people right here are Jesus' body. It's a really good reason to love them, isn't it? We love the people in this church because they are his body. Jesus' physical body is in heaven, but his body on earth are these people. It's his body. It's a good reason to love them. And we're all one because we're all in Christ. And, and one other thing I want to mention to you as we kind of like wrap this up is that union with Christ doesn't just give you a desire to love other Christians. It actually gives you the ability to love other Christians. Because if you're in Christ and he's in you, then Christ's love for these people is in you. You don't have to like muster it up. It doesn't mean like, oh man, I need to really learn to love Jesus' people. Like, no, what you need to learn is to abide in Jesus' love for his own people. Like, he already has a love in you for his people. And that's why you love him. You, it's kind of weird, isn't it? I mean, especially if you've only been a Christian for a little while, that all of a sudden you're a part of these people that aren't relatives of yours, you're very little in common with them, and yet you do anything for them. They're your family. It's because his love is in you. Paul said this to the, to the Philippians. He says, God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affections of Christ Jesus. Like, what is that? Like, I love you with Jesus' love. How are you doing that? Union with Christ. The Spirit is so connected Paul's heart to Christ's heart. It's like a little secret channel that you have between your heart and Jesus' heart where his love is like being infused into your heart. That's what union with Christ does. And this is so important, guys, because when you think of your responsibility to other believers in this church, it can feel really overwhelming. And it can feel very overwhelming when you consider all the needs these people have. When you consider all the struggles they have. When you consider all the pain and the trials they have. Just the pain and the trials and the needs in this room. If you add them all up, it's overwhelming, right? You think like, how can I possibly, how can we possibly meet those needs. And the answer with union with Christ is, you don't have to. Jesus is going to do it. He's going to do it through you, right? Jesus is going to love them through you. Jesus is going to bless them with his life through the fruit of the Spirit coming out of you because of your union with Christ. Jesus is going to serve them with his own power 
through the gifts of the Spirit through you. It's not up to you. It's not up to you to love Jesus' bride in all the ways she needs. Jesus will do that through you. I think it's something you really, really have to think about. Something I have to think about when you feel overwhelmed. You know, somebody in the body tells you some need, tells you some pain, tells you some difficulty. You can often think like, oh, not it. Right? I don't have what it takes to do this. And that's when we have to remember union with Christ. This is what all you have to do, guys. You need to pray. You need to show up. And then you need to just watch Jesus' love nourish and cherish people through you. That's what it is. He's going to do it through you. You're like the vehicle. You're coming over bringing the presence of Christ. Right? What they need is they need Jesus. And you have Jesus dwelling within you. So you just need to pray. You show up. And you trust that God is going to nourish and cherish them through you. And that's what we see in this church. That's what we've seen in this church as people love each other. Some of you guys are new to the church and you're like, wow, there's something really going on here. It's supernatural, guys. It's supernatural. You know, the way that you love each other, what it is is it's Jesus nourishing and cherishing his church through flawed people. It's him taking care of his bride through, through very flawed people and dwelt by the Spirit. And to any of you who haven't yet come to Christ, I just want to say, become a part of it. Become a part of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. We saw in verse 32, take a look at it, that God created marriage as a living symbol of the one flesh union between Christ and the church. And this is really cool because what God didn't do is he didn't invent men and women and, and marriage and set it all in motion. Then later he thought about Jesus and the church and went like, oh, that's a great analogy. He didn't do that, right? He thought of the church and its relationship to Christ before the foundation of the world, and then he invented husbands and wives in marriage as his own metaphor for the gospel. You might think this is cheating, but he does poetry differently. So what we do is we think, what's a good metaphor for this? And we look through all the created world for a metaphor. He doesn't do that. He started with the concept of the gospel, and he goes, you know, I'm going to fill the world with metaphors of it. So when God created the world, he created things like... um, like vines and branches and bread and wine and sheep and shepherds and husbands and wives and countless other things as numerous pictures all throughout the world of the relationship between Christ and his church. whole world, guys, was created to show you Christ in the church. And so the thing I want to say to you who don't know Christ yet or haven't come to him yet is don't miss the whole reason the universe exists. Okay? Like there's a lot of ways your life could go wrong. There's a lot of mistakes you can make. That'd be a pretty big one. To miss the whole purpose the universe was made. Like this whole world was made to show you Christ. And it certainly worked, and you've certainly seen him. You were made to know Christ. Don't miss your whole reason to exist. In this passage, we just say, turn from your spiritual adultery. Turn to Christ and find that he's full of grace. He'll take away your sin. He'll take away your shame. He'll give you a new life. All you have to do is just ask him. I just want to plead with you, you're not going to find a better love than Jesus. You know, one of the things that keeps people away from Christ is the other people or the other things that they love more. You're not going to find anyone that loves you more than Jesus. This is the love you need to give up every other love to have. The perfect marriage with God, the perfect relationship, the perfect love. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that for us, that we would Just be so captivated by the way you've loved us in Christ through the cross. 
through the resurrection, ascension, and this is the way in which you've come into our lives and taken us very unfaithful people. We are the gomers of the world. And you've sought us out and you've loved us. And we really do feel, as we're feeling your love, we do really do feel ourselves wanting to shed more and more sin, wanting to get rid of more and more things to keep us from you. Because you're so much better. We'd be fools. We'd be fools to hang on to things that keep us from you. So we pray, Lord, as we take the Lord's Supper, as we're nourished and cherished through that meal, as we really feed upon your Son, Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, we just pray, Lord, that our spiritual bones and our hearts and our minds would be stronger. That we'd be ready to go out and deal with all the hardships and pains and struggles of this world. And we'd be ready to, to shed off any sins that have entangled us. Because your love is better. And Lord, we thank you that you love us the same all the time. Even when we're in the very darkest moments of sin, your love never changes. Lord, cause that to stir us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message.